Get ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. All right, let's get this party started. She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about entertainment, gaming, and maybe just a little bit bizarre. Hold tight, because here she comes. Well, thank you so much, Raven, for that beautiful introduction. And hello there, my friends. Good day to you all, and welcome back to the Starter Zone. I am your host, Amanda. Well, we made it through the Super Bowl, and uh, boy, what a show that was. Also, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Okay, it's one day early, but make Cupid's bow find the right spot, because otherwise it hurts. Well, today is the 13th of February, so let's check out some of the headlines we're going to be covering. We might cover the Super Bowl. I don't know. Are we kind of burned out on this? Nah, who are we kidding? We're going to cover it. We got some big news from the Michael Jackson estate, and Billy Ray has some cryptic words for daughter Miley. We got a cool look at the latest Olympic medals. Christian Bale may actually be Batman after all. The box office breakdown of the weekend and more. Get comfy, my friends. Let's get this started. Alright guys, crank up the volume, it's time for the music news. So here's something that's going to mess with your head a little bit. It has been 15 years since we lost the King of Pop, Michael Jackson. He was regarded as one of the most significant cultural figures of the 20th century. And during his four-decade career, his contributions to music and dance and fashion, along with his very publicized personal life, made him a global figure in pop culture. Now, Jackson's been, he's been influencing artists across many music genres for years through his stage and his video performances. I mean, God, he popularized complicated street dance moves. He's the one who did the moonwalk, um, which he named as well as the robot. 15 years, and we're still hearing about his estate. So in, in what is apparently the conclusion of a deal that Variety tipped us off about about a year ago, Sony Music Group has completed a transaction to acquire half of Michael Jackson's publishing and recorded masters in a transaction. This values the total catalog at $1.2 billion, and actually, honestly, probably more. Billboard reports that Sony will pay at least $600 million for the stake. If the report is accurate, this deal is the biggest for a single music artist's assets to date. Now, sources confirmed to Variety that the complex deal also includes assets from Jackson's legendary MyJack publishing catalog, which is including multiple titles by like Sly and the Family Stone, as well as uh, that, some hits that were written and performed by uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Jackie Wilson, Curtis Mayfield. We're talking Ray Charles, Percy Sledge, Dion, and many, many more. 
However, it doesn't include royalties from the MJ Broadway musical and other theatrical productions featuring his music. Jackson's recorded music catalog is one of the most lucrative in history. I mean, his 1982 Thriller album alone is one of the two biggest sellers of all time and was the first album to be certified 30 times platinum. Though such figures have become a little muddled in the streaming age. Now, speaking of music legends, let's talk a little country and a little Billy Ray. You know. Now, those that watched his daughter Miley win her first Grammy last week may have actually noticed something if they watched her acceptance speech. Billy Ray was not mentioned in that speech at all. Kind of curious. She thanked her mom, she thanked her sister, but what's happening over in Cyrus land? So the country music star, Billy Ray, shared a very cryptic message amid his family rift with daughter Miley and ex-wife Tish uh, Cyrus, who he divorced in 2022 after nearly 30 years of marriage. Now, alongside a photo of himself and his new wife of four months, Fire Rose, cozying up in a field together, Billy Ray wrote on Instagram on February the 6th, saying, love is the answer. Okay, sounds kind of nice, but this post really, it came just two days after the 31-year-old Miley won won her first Grammy for Best Pop Solo Performance and Record of the Year, and she failed to acknowledge her father. Instead, the artist opted to give shout-outs to Mom, Sister Brandy, and her boyfriend, Max, who were all in the audience. Have a listen to this. I want to thank everyone that's standing on this stage right now. Tom, Tyler, Michael, and Greg. Our teams, my team, Crush, Columbia, my mommy, my sister, my love, my main gaze, because look how good I look. Uh, Anyone else? Your wife, your fiance, all the people that we love. Thank you all so much. I don't think I forgot anyone, but I might have forgotten underwear. Bye. Ouch, her underwear gets a mention, but not daddy. So Miley ended up doubling down in her post-Grammys Instagram message on February the 5th when she again didn't mention Billy Ray by name. But she once again thanked her mom, her sister, and then added in her godmother, the one and only Dolly Parton. And though Miley and her dad were once inseparable, they were once co-stars on Hannah Montana. They've drifted apart in recent years, according to a source close to Miley. Of course, they say the divorce between her parents put a strain on the relationship with dad, and it's been really hard to connect with him in the last year. And added that Miley has been really closer to her mom and doesn't have any relationship with her new stepmom. Look, divorce is almost never a pleasant experience, especially when you have kids involved. It doesn't matter how old the kids are. But it definitely sounds like Miley took her mom's side on this one. Well, now that we've mentioned moms, Here's a kind of a show-stopping, heartwarming story. During the first night of the Australian leg of her summer carnival tour in Sydney on Friday, the singer-songwriter Pink paused her set after a woman in the audience went into labor. It admittedly took a while for Pink to figure out what was going on as crew members were trying to update her from off the stage, and she apparently is really bad at reading these kinds of signals. Have a listen. 
a baby. What about the baby? What's wrong with the baby? What do you mean? Uh, okay, there's 85 people shouting something. Did you just say I like playing Minecraft? <laughs> there's a baby. Somebody's having a baby? The video did go on a little bit longer and the baby had not been born at that given moment mom was just in labor but pink who congratulated the expected mom had a pretty nice laugh about her songs inducing labor she said that's exciting i don't even know what to say we have to sing and then address the woman saying good luck you're gonna be great you're gonna do great funnily enough though this is not the first time that a concert attendee has gone into labor during Pink's concert tour, which kicked off last June in England and concludes November in Florida. Pink fan Angela Mercer, who attended the show in Boston last August, started having contractions shortly after arriving at the venue and alongside her family, quickly made the trek to Brigham and Women's Hospital, which recounted the whole ordeal on Facebook. The hospital shared Pink's newest and youngest fan was named Asen Hart. Baby Asen was born right after his grandma Barbara's birthday, and while the family didn't get to enjoy the concert, they say they received the greatest gift of all, a healthy baby boy, unquote. Congratulations to the new mama. I am sure she did absolutely great. All right, we are going to talk Super Bowl in depth in a few, and we're going to go over some commercials a little later, but let's check out some of the music news from the event. This was huge. Polish your saddles, everybody, because Beyonce is entering a country phase. The Grammy winner announced that she's releasing a new album and she re- and made this announcement during the Super Bowl, but no, we're not quite ready for this. The Texas native's going back to her roots with Act 2, which is coming out March 29th. In fact, the first two tracks whose names were released pays direct homage to her home state and is called Texas Hold'em, with the second one titled 16 Carriages. And while the news comes as a surprise, It looks like Queen Bay has kind of been leaving a trail of Easter eggs for those eagle-eyed fans. If we take a look back at the Grammys, remember when Jay-Z did that whole, you know, you haven't given her the the album of the year award type thing? Well, they paused the video and they looked over at Beyonce and there she is. She's kind of like doing this holding court thing. She's in a bolo tie and she's got this wide brim white cowboy hat. It was a cute look for her, really. So shortly after going to great lengths to try to break the internet in her Super Bowl ad for her Verizon, which we'll talk a little bit more later, the 42-year-old may have proven that she can, in fact, break the internet by revealing the album. People went nuts. Now, Taylor Swift broke her news about a new album during the Grammys, and, you know, Queen Bay over there looking not too thrilled about the whole thing. Well, probably because she knew she was about to announce her own album coming out during the Super Bowl, and she teamed up with Verizon to do this big production. But all we can say is, Beyonce, we're waiting. We're counting down the days until March 29th. In the meantime, both Texas Hold'em and 16 Carriages are already out and can be streamed. I found them on YouTube. Very cool songs. 
And so we're looking forward to hearing the whole album. This ain't Texas. And of course, Beyonce was present at the Super Bowl for her big announcement, and she was in pretty good company. Not only was Jay-Z by her side, but her daughters, Blue Ivy, who is currently 12, as well as Rumi, age 6, were in attendance to see the big game. The two girls even got to join their dad on the field of Allegiant Stadium ahead of the game's start. So here comes halftime and the much-anticipated halftime show. Usher thrilled fans with his performance at the 2024 Super Bowl halftime show. He was joined by a huge amount of guest stars, including Alicia Keys, and the set list included some of his greatest hits and favorite songs from his 30-year career. The superstar began with his 2004 hit, Caught Up, played You Don't Have to Call, Lovers and Friends, and Love in This Club. I'm so Okay, so at that point, Usher's first featured guest of the night graced the stage, sitting at this bright, beautiful red piano. R&B singer Alicia Keys played her solo song, If I Ain't Got You, before Usher came over, starts holding her close, and they do a duet called My Boo. Atlanta super producer Jermaine Dupree had his say next as Usher transitioned on the dot to Nice and Slow before the breakup ballad Let It Burn. H.E.R., who was nominated for Best New Artist out Grammy back in 2019, appeared behind Usher with an electric guitar and struck up in the opening chords of Bad Girl before Black Eyed Peas rapper Will I Am joined in for their 2010 dance hit, Oh My God. Usher rolled and bounced across the stage in roller skates. Roller skates! Dude's 45 years old and just busted this performance out like it was the late 90s, early 2000s, and we're all at the roller rink all over again. It was slick. This thing was like a huge party on that field, and I had so many flashbacks to high school and high school prom. The show ended with a celebration of Usher's hometown of Atlanta as Little John crowd surfed, seriously crowd surfed, into Turn Down for What?, and then here comes Ludacris joining them on stage with his huge afro for the grand finale, the most played song of 2004, Yeah. Usher ended the show with the iconic Peace Up A-Town Down sign before the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers returned to play for the second half. All right. I have to admit, this was probably one of the most enjoyable halftime shows that I have seen. Now, Princess was fantastic. I did enjoy Katy Perry's. There's, I mean, there's been a lot of really good ones. Um, but this one was just, it was fun, it was classy, and it felt just like a good, feel-good party. I do want to give a quick shout-out, though, to my fancy girl, Reba McIntyre. Reba performed the national anthem to help kick off the Super Bowl, and she actually had, uh, she had all of us in tears, honestly. This was probably one of the best versions that I've ever heard, and I remember the Whitney Houston version and Leanne Rimes putting both of them amazing performances, but you know you hit all the right notes when the players have tears in their eyes.
I think it's time. Let's kick off this next segment with the sports news. Well, Super Bowl Sunday has come and gone, but the news cycle's going to take a little longer to settle down, especially with how it ended and what happened afterwards. So the Kansas City Chiefs beat the San Francisco 49ers at the Super Bowl on Sunday, securing the NFL's first back-to-back Super Bowl win in 20 years, with a game that went into overtime for only the second time in Super Bowl history. You may have seen me on Facebook about this. I was active that night and I was writing up a bunch of stuff for today's show, watching the game, you know, just keeping an eye on it. I mean, honestly, it was a pretty basic game until the fourth quarter. No huge penalties that cost someone to get the game. You know, there was like a small interruption. I'll get into that in a little bit. Just a nice, steady football game that bam, fourth quarter and we're into overtime. And I'm like, I just want to go to bed. But alas, I stayed up. And I am really glad I did. So if you didn't watch it and you've missed all the coverage, here's kind of what happened. The 49ers took the lead early in the game, but the lead turned over several times during regulation play. The first half ended with San Francisco up 10-3. The Chiefs came back to take the lead early in the third quarter, and then the 49ers answered back with a touchdown by the wide receiver Jennings. Halfway through the fourth quarter, we got a score of 16-16. San Francisco pulls ahead 19 to 16. We are down two seconds in the fourth quarter. Three seconds left to go. The Chiefs tie it up. It was an absolute nail biter. I don't care what side you were on. The only other Super Bowl to go into overtime was back in 2017 when the New England Patriots mounted a absolutely just stunning comeback to beat the Atlanta Falcons 34 to 28. I really don't talk about that game much. I'm still mad the Falcons lost. Anyway. Overtime. This is the first Super Bowl played under the NFL's new playoff overtime rules. So in the playoffs, both teams are guaranteed a possession. It used to be first to score wins. And fans hated it because if you won the coin flip, you were almost guaranteed the win. Not the case anymore. So even if the team that receives the overtime kickoff scores a touchdown, the other team then gets the kickoff and they will have a chance to score a touchdown on their own to tie it back up. So unlike regular season overtime, postseason overtime, they use 15-minute quarters and they play it like a whole new game. So they literally just keep playing until someone scores and the other team can't, can't return the score. So this includes a halftime if the game remains tied after second overtime. This has never happened in NFL history, but they at least have it ready to go. There won't be a second usher performance, however. It's a really short halftime in overtime. So here we go. We're going into overtime. It's all tied up. San Francisco gets kickoff. They've got possession. They get down the field. Jake Moody makes a 27-yard field goal on first possession of overtime. 49ers are up 22-19. Hot dog. Then the Chiefs are like, all right, game on. And then they go 13 plays, 75-yard drive, and won it on a three-yard touchdown pass from Mahomes to McCole Hardman. It was beautiful. Hardman was like wide open. He really didn't necessarily have to run into the end zone. Boy, walked. Congratulations to the Chiefs on the back-to-back championships. This is the fourth Super Bowl win for the Chiefs franchise and the third for this team under Coach Andy Reid. Mahomes won his third Super Bowl MVP. As far as the 49ers, absolutely devastating defeat, particularly for the coach, Kyle Shanahan. 
this adds another chapter of Super Bowl heartache to otherwise what's been a stellar career for him. This is his second loss in, uh, as a head coach in the Super Bowl. Four years ago, the 49ers blew a 10-point fourth quarter lead to the Chiefs again in the, uh, the Super Bowl 54, eventually losing 31-20. to So this brings San Francisco's championship drought to 29 seasons. All right. But what about Taylor? Notice I haven't mentioned her once, have I? Well, she did make it back from Japan with time to spare and was spotted with BFF's Blake Lively and Ice Spice in the box with Travis's family. And what about the Everman hero, his brother Jason? Well, Jason was there too, sporting some very bright, colorful, and very fashionable overalls done in the Chiefs' colors. It was definitely a look. And apparently as well, Taylor decided to play a drinking game at one point. And the way it looked like, they put her up on the Jumbotron again, and she just decided to... I don't know, bottoms up. It's not as bottoms up. Give them up. Not as bottoms up. Get them up. So she looks to be holding what could be beer or wine. And when she sees herself up on the screen, she and her friend Ashley just start chugging. Now, Taylor won, by the way, and social media collectively just went bonkers. And then someone, of course, clocked it. Her attempt came in at a very respectable 6.6 seconds. So she joined the Kelsey family and the Chiefs on the field for post-game celebrations, where she and Travis were photographed extensively doing a lot of PDA and celebrating. So I guess the next question on everyone's mind is, is she going to still be around come spring or uh, summer training camp and the start of the NFL season, which is September the 7th? Stay tuned to find out more. All right, so enough about that. Let's switch over. We're going to talk some Olympics. Okay, so before I get into the actual story, I'm going to take you guys on a small side trip because I stumbled on this little tidbit and I just kind of want to share it. Did you know that the Olympics theme song, the one I just played, has a name? And it's actually not just one song. It's officially called Bugler's Dream slash Olympic Fanfare and Theme. That's the full title. Bugler's Dream was composed by a man by the name of Leo Arnold in 1958 as a solo piece. This is the part we just played like the, the, with the drums and everything. But in 1984, the Olympic Fanfare part was added. And it was composed by none other than the legendary John Williams. I was doing a little bit of research on the music. Somebody had made in a comment that if the world had a theme song, this would probably be it. There you go. Now you guys know some trivia. The Summer Olympics is really just around the corner. The opening ceremony, July 26th, with the games commencing on July the 27th. Yes, I know we're talking seven months away, but have you guys noticed how quick February is going? We're already halfway through. One little cool factoid that most people know 
is that for every Olympics, the host city comes up with this unique medal design. The, the medals are never the same. For instance, back in 2008, the Olympic Committee in Beijing, China, decided to inlay their medals with jade rings. These were gorgeous. Now, per- Paris is hosting the Summer Olympics, and they're going to do something special for their medals as well, and they displayed them to the public this last week. Each Olympic medal is inlaid with a piece of the Eiffel Tower. How's that for a monumental prize? A hexagonal polished chunk of iron taken from the iconic landmark is being embedded in each gold, silver, and bronze medal that's going to hang around the athletes' necks at the July 26th through August 11th Paris Games and Paralympics that follow. Now, my first question, were these really chunks of the tower and how did they do this? Okay, so they're absolutely real. The 330 meter, which is 1,083 feet, tower is made up of about over 18,000 iron parts. But those iron parts, they're getting a little old. This thing was built for the World's Fair of 1889, which celebrated the 100th anniversary of the French Revolution. An engineer, Gustave Eiffel's tower, was only intended to stand for 20 years. Think about that. But instead... It's still there, and they just do some what they call rejuvenation surgery from time to time and just constantly care for it. This tower is now 135 years old, and it's a veteran of two previous games in 1900 and 1924. 1924, the last to be held in Paris. 100 years later, we're back. So the iron piece is embedded in the center of each metal, weighs about 18 grams, which is about two-thirds of an ounce. They were cut from girders and other bits that were swapped out of the Eiffel Tower during renovations and stored for safekeeping. And this is according to Joachim Ronson, who is the head of design at the Paris Games Organization Committee. So basically, they've been taking these pieces and parts off of the tower for cleaning and repair and just storage if they don't ever use them again. And so here they have this pile of iron that's from the tower. And so Ronson said the concept came after a few discussions. We realized there's one simple symbol that's known across the world, and that's the Eiffel Tower. So we said to ourselves, hey, what if we approach the Eiffel Tower operating company and see if it's possible to get a bit of the tower to integrate into the metal? Well, the company agreed, and the dream became reality. This really is a bit of metal from the tower. The chunks were stripped of paint. They were polished and varnished for their second life stamped with the Paris 2024 and the Olympic Games logo, which looks like a flame, and then the five Olympic rings are stamped onto the iron in the medals. The Paralympic logo of three swooshes, known as the Agitos, is stamped on the medals for the Paralympics of August 28th through September the 8th. And you may be thinking, okay, so why a hexagon? Well, the hexagon form of the iron pieces represents France. I didn't know this. The French apparently sometimes refer to their company country, not the company, (laughs) a country as the hexagon, which is the hexagon in French because of its shape. Okay, I see this. Well, the Parisian jewelry house of Chaumet is designing the metals. Six small clasps are holding the iron pieces of the metals, and that is a subtle wink at the 2.5 million rivets that bind the Eiffel Tower together. Around the iron pieces are the discs of gold, silver, or bronze, They are crinkled to reflect the light, making these things shine. They are shiny. Game organizers say the metal is all recycled. These are not newly minted. 
The ancient Greek goddess of victory Nike features on the Olympic medal's other side, as she has done at every game since 1928. But Paris also added a small representation of the tower on that side, too, in another break with tradition. The other side of the Paralympic medals shows a view of the tower as if looking upward from underneath. And for any visually impaired com com competitors, Paris 2024 is written in Braille, and the edges have notches. One for gold, two for silver, or three for bronze. They will come in a dark blue box from Chalmay and a certificate from the Eiffel Tower Operating Company that the iron pieces came from the monument. Paris organizers, though, they didn't give a monetary value for the medals. But yeah, these are beautiful. I love the looks of these. They are so well designed and absolutely unique. And I, I think the, incl the inclusion of the medal from the towers was stroke of genius. All right, guys, it's spotlight time. Let's go see what's in the entertainment news. There are people who watch the Super Bowl for the actual game, and then there are the rest of us who watch for the clever commercial breaks. Now, numerous Taylor Swift fans also tuned in this year to catch a glimpse of the pop icon cheering on her boyfriend, the triumphant Kansas City tight end Travis Kelsey, which we've already written about tons. Well, star power always figures into this night, and Usher and his friends had halftime, but the ad spots seem to rely on a lot of celebrity cameos just more than ever. Some appearances made sense, such as the Dunkin' Donuts commercial featuring superfan Ben Affleck and wife Jennifer Lopez, his bestie Matt Damon, and a bonus Tom Brady. Others were a little more random, including the T-Mobile ad recruiting a group of whoever was available to audition for their phone plans. But one of the funny, funnest ones to watch was the Dunkin' Donuts spot. Okay, so Ben Affleck forms a... <laughs> so silly. He forms a boy band called the Dunkings. Dunkings and with follow uh, fellow Boston celebrities Matt Damon and Tom Brady and they just absolutely embarrassed themselves in front of Affleck's wife actress singer Jennifer Lopez then comes the Sarah V commercial all right this one I'm just gonna play because I can't do it justice roll tape I'm Michael Sarah and human skin is my passion which is why I developed this Sarah V oh you didn't know can skin truly be this moisturized oh yeah Wow. Let my cream hydrate you. <laughs> Three essential ceramides. Sarah V. Developed with Michael Sarah V. We like? <laughs> so my name is Sarah. And so there's, it's a perfect crossover opportunity. There is not a situation that Michael Sarah can't make more awkward, but this one was just gold. So we had the Verizon promo with Beyonce, and the one that made its round all last week was the Sir Patrick Stewart throws a Hail Arnold. As in Arnold from Nickelodeon's Hey Arnold, you know, football head, literally gets dressed in like this old-timey football outfit, picks up an animated Arnold and tosses him against a cliff. Fantastic. Oh, and I also did forget... The State Farm ad with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito, a flashback to the movie Twins. I love that movie. It's great. All of these and more are available to view. I'm linking the article from USA Today that has them all embedded or at least has the links for you guys. There were 59 of them. Happy viewing. Our next story is not Super Bowl related. But Batman 
may actually exist. How's that for an opener? Christian Bale is planning to build 12 foster homes over in California. The Batman actor has been developing this idea since the birth of his daughter back in 2005. And after being stunned and mad to learn how many kids were in care in California. Bale led a tour around the new village in California where he's planning to build 12 foster homes, two studio flats that are going to help these kids transition into independent living and a 7,000 square foot community center. Work is already underway on the project and it has an estimated cost of $22 million and a completion date of 2025. Situated next to a park in Palmdale, California, which is a city 60 miles north of Los Angeles, this village will be the first of its kind in the state. Bale, who is 50 years old, is the co-founder of Together California, an organization steering the development called The Village Something Absolutely New, Totally Transformative, and Something Completely Needed. He said, quote, Imagine the absolute pain and trauma of losing your parents or being torn from your parents and then losing your brothers and sisters on top of that. There's no way to treat kids. And so we will be the hub. I hope that this village will be the first of many, and I hope that people, Californians and Angelinos, know how to come join us to open our eyes to what's happening right in front of our noses. These are our children, and we must help our children. Now, Bale went on to credit his late father, David, for his interest in philanthropy and direct action. He said, I grew up with a dad who was also very active and altruistic, and we would be headed to protest and shouting at a Maggie Thatcher and stuff and as a kid I didn't really understand what we were doing but I loved it and I admired the heck out of my dad in that way that he went out of his way to care for other people we all were always having others come and live in our house that didn't have homes that was just the kind of guy he was Bale went on to say that the planning and the approval stage had taken a lot longer than anticipated and he had this unrealistic idea that within one year he would have created this miniature sound of music type place with kids singing on the hills and endlessly joyful environment but discovered yeah it takes a really long time and then a lot of really well motivated people complicated it's tough it should be a heck of a lot easier than it was he said but I didn't flinch for one second this honestly this is one heck of a revolutionary idea and I'm really wanting to see more details about the community I'd love to see some pictures of their progress and Hopefully we're going to see a little bit more soon and we'll share it as soon as we find out. Okay, now for those that are old enough to remember this or for those that like older movies, you might recall a little film called This is Spinal Tap. It was released back in 1984 and it featured such well-known names like Christopher Guest, Michael McKean, and Harry Shearer and revolves around the members of a fictional heavy metal band. Rob Reiner appeared in the movie as well as a documentarian who chronicles the lives of the group during the American leg of one of their tours. Billy Crystal, Fred Willard, and Fran Drescher also feature. Very delicate. It's a, it's a bit of a departure from the kind of thing you normally play. What do you call this? Well, this piece is called uh, Lick My Love Pump. And for those fans, it's now been confirmed by Rob Reiner that a sequel is on the way, and it's set to start filming this month. The filmmaker shared the news during an appearance on the RHLSTP with Richard Herring podcast. We're going to start shooting at the end of February and everybody is back. And also mentioned the likes of Paul McCartney, Elton John, Garth Brooks, and a few other surprises are set to have cameos in the follow-up. 
Okay, so we're talking like a really stacked cast, right? Well, Reiner had previously told Deadline back in May of 2022 that the plan was to do a sequel that comes out on the 40th anniversary of the original film. And currently, production timeline is absolutely tracking for that date. We'll let you know more as we hear more as well. All right, so this next story, I caught wind of this one back last Thursday, the February the 8th, about a standoff in the Portland, Oregon area. But I'll be honest, I didn't really pay much attention to it when it was actively happening. It's far away from me. Um, I was actually actively working on Friday's show at the time, but authority, authorities, they started to release names and details and, well, they caught my interest. Wrestling star, retired wrestling star, Billy Jack Haynes, who grappled with the likes of Ric Flair and Randy Savage during his nearly 15-year career in the ring, has been arrested for allegedly fatally shooting his wife in their Oregon home. Police responded to reports of gunfire in the Portland neighborhood of Lentz around 10 a.m. and learned that Haynes, 70 years old, was inside the residence and he was refusing to come out. With the help of the SWAT team, Haynes was taken into custody without incident after a two-hour standoff. Police then found his wife, Jeanette, 85, inside the home, deceased. He is in, was in police custody at the local hospital, being treated for a medical condition that was unrelated to the homicide or his contact with law enforcement. A longtime friend and neighbor said the couple, they were a fixture in the local community, and Haynes would often regale local wrestling fans with war stories of his glory days. Jeanette Baycraft's son from a previous relationship, Todd, was a close childhood friend of Haynes, and after her first husband died, she would later marry the wrestler 15 years her junior. Haynes is best known for his run in the World Wrestling Federation from 1986 to 1988, when he earned a spot on the famed 1987 WrestleMania 3 card in Detroit. But he would eventually hang up his trunks in 1995. Haynes is expected to be charged with murder upon his release from the hospital. Okay, so this one. When I first heard the details, my head went straight to the story of Chris Benoit. What I'm about to say is pure speculation. We don't know what happened between Haynes and his wife. And it may be a while before we, we know. Chris Benoit was a WWE star as well. But he was uh, star in the late 90s and the early 2000s. Benoit murdered his wife and his son in late June of 2007 before committing suicide a day or two afterwards. The timeline is still murky on exactly what happened. We just know it's like a three-day period. As for why it happened, well, theories all over the place. There were blaming roid rage, you know, his steroid use, alcohol abuse, but the most prevailing theory came up after an autopsy of Chris's brain. He's shown signs of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, as a result of repeated untreated concussions throughout his wrestling career, and a brain was so damaged, so severely damaged, it resembled the brain of an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient. So in this case, the question could be, is Haynes also a victim of CTE? Were they having marital issues and he just snapped? Is the wrestling career part of this bio just a red herring? CTE is still being studied in wrestling and the NFL and pretty much any contact sport. We still just don't know enough. But it's good to see these sports are starting to take more precautions to protect the athletes. Pure speculation, super sad story. 
I'm going to be watching for any updates that we can, can get out of this one. So crime is also uh, it's just a hot story no matter where you go, unfortunately. And when a celebrity is involved, it gets hotter. This time, it's involving Jada. Yes, that Jada. We haven't actually really talked much about Jada Pinkett Smith since her revelations about her marriage to Will Smith came out because, you know, her book was coming out. So we had to talk about it, right? Well, now, according to reports, Jada recently braved two hooded individuals who recently attempted to break into her L.A. residence. The criminals attempted to gain entry via a balcony as they believed the house to be empty. Unfortunately, for them, at least, their plans were foiled as the talk show host was at home and her presence scared them away. While it is sadly not uncommon for high-profile and successful celebrities like Jada to face serious security threats, it still came as a shock to her. The attempted break-in occurred sometime before 8 p.m., and upon spotting the intruders, she quickly notified the authorities, resulting in a pretty prompt response from law enforcement. However, the perpetrators were not apprehended because they had already escaped by the time the cops arrived. The motive behind the attempted robbery remains unclear as investigators have yet to determine whether the Red Table Talk co-host was specifically targeted or if the incident was just part of the broader trend targeting affluent residences in the Los Angeles area. Per sources, following the attempted burglary, deputies filed a report and launched an official investigation into the matter. Jada's just the latest celebrity to be a victim of a home invasion. Back in December, John Wickstar, Keanu Reeves, had his fighting skills put to the test when multiple masked men broke into his L.A. home. Happy ending in regards to her safety, and I hope they find the ones responsible soon. All right, guys, it's now time to check out the box office. It's time for the box office breakdown. So last week, Argyle had a weak opening, but did it hold on to number one? So Matthew Vaughn's spy thriller Argyle emerged victorious over newcomer Lisa Frankenstein in this box office that both films struggled to show signs of life. But Argyle did claim the number one spot again with $6.5 million from the venues. And it's a steep, like, 62% decline from its debut. After two weeks of release, the big-budget caper from Apple has generated $28.8 million at the domestic box office and $60 million globally. Y'all, this thing costs $200 million to produce, and it stands as the year's first big bomb. I thought it was a cute movie. Horror comedy Lisa Frankenstein cratered in second place with $3.8 million. An absolutely terrible start, unfortunately, for any movie and wide release. However, Focus Features only spent $13 million to make the film, so that's going to kind of cushion the box office shortcomings. Absolutely a relief for that one because neither the critics nor the audience has responded well to the movie. It's got a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes and a B on CinemaScore. Juno screenwriter Diablo Cody wrote Lisa Frankenstein, but is directed by Zelda Williams, daughter of Robin Williams in her feature debut. 
The PG-13 love story follows a misunderstood teenager, Catherine Newton, whose high school crush of Cole Sprouse happens to be a corpse. Side note, uh, this one probably should have been a late September or October release based on what I can see, but eh, what do I know? Super Bowl weekend is usually a really slow time for moviegoing, and this Sunday's matchup between the Chiefs and 49ers, no exception. Ticket sales ground to a near halt with roughly $42 million, which is the lowest collective haul ever for the weekend that can, coincides with the big scheme, and that is according to Comscore. Slight side note, the Super Bowl drew 123.4 million viewers. Just throwing that out there. Superhero Adventure by Sony, Madam Web, and Paramount's Bob Marley biopic called One Love are opening tomorrow. But moviegoing isn't expected to pick up in earnest until uh, the Dune Part 2 movie comes out that debuts in March. But for now, ticket sales are down nearly 15% from 2023. All right, back to the top five. Beekeeper, starring Jason Statham, landed in third place with $3.46 million. This one has remained in the top three for the fifth consecutive weekend. The Chosen Season 4, Episodes 1 through 3, took in four, fourth place with $3.1 million, And Wonka added $3.1, boosting their domestic tally to $205. The Warner Brothers film, which carried a $125 million price tag, has grossed $587 million worldwide. This one has become a financial success thanks to the staying power. Y'all, this is now since December, and it's still hanging around. Fantastic. All right, let's go ahead and let's get down to business with some odd news. And now for something different. All right, so before I start the first story, I just have to put in a small disclaimer. I don't deliberately look for stories that come from Florida. They pop up on my radar. I guess I'm just in a weird state. I don't know. But first, we're going to go to the Tampa area of Florida where a construction crew working on a future Collis campus near a Florida airport, unearthed what turned out to be a thankfully inert World War II-era bomb. It's the bomb! The Hernando County Sheriff's Office said the crew was working at the site of what will eventually be Wilton Simpson Technical College in Brooksville, which is near the Brooksville-Tampa Regional Airport, when they discovered the buried ordinance. The Sheriff's Office evacuated the area about a half a mile in each direction and started closing all the nearby roads while awaiting the Citrus County Sheriff's Office bomb team. Now, the explosives experts did determine that the decaying Mark 65, a 1,000-pound bomb, dated back to World War II and was inert, and the Sheriff's Office said the bomb is going to be disposed of by a crew from McDill Air Force Base in Tampa. Now, the bomb's origins are believed to be tied to the World War II-era military airfield that occupied the plot of land before it became the Brooksville-Tampa Bay Regional Airport. They used to use that airfield for training exercises on the B-17 Flying Fortresses and the B-24 Liberators. Sounds about right to me. And since we're in the Tampa area, here's another one for you. <laughs> An escaped kangaroo paid a visit to an apartment complex that ended up being captured when the deputies trapped it in the pool area. The Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office said deputies responded to a report of a kangaroo on the loose in an apartment complex near Fowler Avenue and the 56th Street of Tampa. Now, deputies were able to trap it 
in the fenced-in pool area, and then they said the wayward marsupial was returned to its owner after the agricultural unit verified the proper registrations to keeping the exotic animal were in place. Okay, now, I've heard rumors and stories about how you should never get into a body of water with a roo, so I checked it out. No, kangaroos are not going to bait you into a body of water to drown you, but they have been known to kill people in the water in defense. So, yeah, don't risk it. Now, keeping in with the theme of the marsupials, a wallaby escaped from its owner's home in Tennessee and hopped across a college campus before being recaptured. Well, Mr. Tucker, while that sets up, I'm going to see a man about a wallaby. Lincoln Memorial University said in a Facebook post that the Australian marsupial was spotted crossing the Harrogate School's campus on Wednesday before fleeing into the woods behind Grant Lee Hall. The wallaby was eventually captured by rangers at Cumberland Gap National Park. The animal's name is Boo Boo and was found to have escaped from a Harrogate home. I had no clue how many people have the exotic license required for these things. But y'all need to get some taller fences, people. Marsupials are on the loose all over the place. Jeez. All right. Well, Super Bowl is over. We're still going to be hearing about it. And we're going to be talking about it for probably about another week, especially with all of the Taylor and Travis photos. Oh, and y'all have got to go see that after party video. I didn't talk about it earlier because I just had found out about it. It includes Jason Kelsey, Travis's brother, in a luchador mask hanging out with DJ Marshmallow, just dancing and partying and kind of DJing himself. I mean, this man is a beast. We checked out some popular ads from the Super Bowl and the halftime show. We checked out Christian Bale's latest project, uh, Jada scaring off an intruder and the Michael Jackson estate making a big sale. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. And I do want to remind you, I include the links to all of my sources in the comments so you can see what I see and more. Also, don't forget to drop a comment or send us an email if there is a story you want us to cover. Join us next time as we check out the latest in entertainment news. Remember, guys, stay comfy in the starter zone. This is Amanda. Good luck and have fun. Listening to The Starter Zone with Amanda. I am Raven. We thank you for your time and support. Without you, we simply would not be. Please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on Facebook and Twitter at The Starter Zone. Have we missed something? Have something to say? Leave us a comment or send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in the Starter Zone.